All right, all right, all right. Welcome into another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. Today we are debating some interesting topics. Spence versus Clark, VA versus I follow. To PLD or not to PLD, that is the question. So get in the chat, like and subscribe. Hey, let's go. boys we are back we're gonna have an interesting episode today like i said before we're going to be doing a little debate style so a little little to and fro little frip and frap here uh with our uh, two main hosts there joe and russell taking sides on these topics here giving all you kings fans what you need to know about the kings but before we get in there how you guys doing doing pretty good pretty good feels a little weird not to have any more hockey on i mean i'm sure kings fans may be a little disappointed in the outcome of the Stanley Cup final but feel feel pretty good about the some of our uh, well-known uh, ex-kings there um seeing some of the the footage especially uh was it Marty handing the the cup off yeah. to quick there that was that was pretty cool so a little little disappointing with the division rival winning and I'm sure maybe it's a little bit more disappointing from for some other teams that have had to wait a little bit longer but yeah like I, like I mentioned it's pretty cool to see quick and Marty and all them get the cup again could be disappointing for Buffalo. Say, I know I always reference them here in Western New York, but I, I got to be honest. I just love seeing Eichel dominate the way he dominated. He would have been my pick for for uh, Con Smythe, but obviously Marshall still is a good uh, good choice. But I'm doing doing pretty well, Randon. IKF just stole home, so the Yankees have a lead on the Mets. I know baseball isn't really something you want to talk about right now, um, but um, but yeah, things are things are going okay. Nav says, hello all, except for Joe, who's crushing my dreams today. So uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch any of the Stanley Cup. Um, I was dead inside. So Marty passing the cup to Quick. Could care less. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> really, really did not care about the Stanley Cup. Uh, for all you don't really? know, obviously, my ace, my ace fandom here, uh, my team, or my name, if you're watching YouTube Live, Oak Together and Fisher Out. Uh Last night was the reverse boycott for Ace fans trying to keep the team, trying to force the ownership to sell, uh, really putting the pressure on there and and keep baseball in Oakland uh, for over 55 years. And uh, it's a travesty what's going on. And it just seems like the team is slipping further and further away out of the grasp. And it's like, this is my longest team I've watched. I've watched them since I've been five, you know, and first baseball game I ever went to. Uh, so before I get crying on this podcast, uh, you know, I just – it's a, it's a shame. So for all you guys out there listening, I know if you're baseball fans or not baseball fans, look up reverse boycott. Look up what happened last night. I think it was the single greatest thing I've ever seen in sports brought on by fans. Fans raised $50,000 to get shirts made that say sell. They gave them out for free at the event. They had DJs. They had food trucks, all this kind of stuff paid for by the fans uh, to tailgate in uh, in the um, in the parking lot. Um, 27,000 people. And people are like, oh, that's not a lot of people. Well, the max for Oakland right now, because the organization closed out the upper deck is 30,000. So it was almost a sellout uh, for the team. Uh, I remember days back in when they faced the Tigers in the wild card, and there were 48,000 people in there, packed strong, decibel levels up up the wazoo. You couldn't even hear yourself think. And in last night's game, the noise got so loud, the the pitch thing for the, the pitcher, 
the our own pitcher couldn't hear the the call that the catcher was making in those alone and trying to things. They had to call timeout and wait for the noise to die down in order to continue the game. So tell me that there's no fandom in Oakland. Uh, Fisher, you can go F yourself. And that's what I got to say on that. Yeah, I know. I feel you, man. I mean, that's – I can't imagine that uh, disappointment. I, mean, I, I saw all the, all the footage from last night and that fifth inning where they just had that, that moment cool. of silence almost and then all of a sudden come back out with that loud sell the chant team – or. Sell the sell the team chant. I mean, man, that's the that's like a ESPN sixty documentary kind of stuff right there. I mean, it's just disappointing. I, I feel for those fans. I can only imagine. And yeah, you too, man. Not, I feel for you too. I mean, I, I just look at like not not only me, but my brother. My brother is an A's and Raiders fan. Both his teams lost. My yeah. brother, when Raiders left, he stopped watching football. My brother no longer watches watch the sport. I play this game since I was like in diapers and like, this has been my team. And to think about not watching a sport after you've loved it your whole life is just like, I don't know. I, I w- I'm not going to be an A's fan. Like you, you sell our team and take it to Vegas. Like the only hope that I think that maybe teams would have one. And if people don't know, there's an antitrust thing. MLB's antitrust for like over a decade, for over a century. Um, you know, and there's a lot of lawmakers threatening to revoke that from the MLB if they if they allow this move to happen. But my thing would be like, you look at the Browns; they moved the team and changed the team name, changed the team identity to the Ravens, and allowed somebody to put a, another team back there, which would be the A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I think that's the only hope A's fans have right yeah. now. Is if yeah. if Fisher decides to rebrand the whole team. Which, why wouldn't you? If you're going to go to Vegas, why wouldn't you rebrand it, start fresh, do all that? Um, if I that happens, then another billionaire could come in and reinvigorate the A's back in, in Oakland. But if they keep the team name, I mean, I think baseball in Oakland is dead forever. Which is it's shocking. sad. What it's sad. Yeah. Sucks to so, see. So, yeah, don't want to get in too much into that, crying. Let's get into the fan base here at for us. LA Kings, Robert coming in here. What up, guys? Hold in with a how's it going, guys? Yo, 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 Nav coming in here. Hey, I still like you. <laughs> Love you, Nav. <laughs> uh, Anthony uh, uh, Carrizo, hey guys. Uh, let's let's get get into let's get into this debate here. All right, so we got a little two and four, little you know tat out tet here. Uh, but before we get into that, Stanley Cup. Anything else that anybody wants to talk about before we get in there? I I I just. I thought it was Vegas was awesome. You know, we talked about how, you know, this is such a really, really good team if they can stay healthy and they stayed healthy for the most part uh, this season. And they were deep and they were really, really freaking good. It didn't matter what goalie they had in net. Um, you know, I know everybody talks and they have defensemen that are big, but they have defensemen that can play. They can, they can skate. They can, they can move pucks. I mean, it was a really, really, it was a dominant series by Vegas, all things. I mean, they, they dominated a severely injured Florida Panthers team. But regardless, I mean, Vegas was the significantly better team. Um, and, you know. Did you hear about some I, of those injuries? Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Like, like broken, a fully broken sternum. Like, Tuchuk had to have a teammate dress him in the locker room in order for him to play in game four. And Can't then, believe that. And then another guy had what? He had. Two dislocated shoulders. He had a broken ribs. Like yeah, Montour had a separated yeah. separated shoulder. 
Um, it, it just absolutely – Florida is playing just completely in a, in a stretcher, in a body bag. Uh, and um, you know what? It's it's so funny because I thought – I got in a little bit of a tiff with a, with a fan, a Montreal fan, about Caulfield being injury prone. He's like, well, he would have played the rest of the season if they weren't in the dumpster. And I kind of was like, no, the doctors made that choice. But when you hear about these – players that hey if they were in the playoffs Caulfield would have played he said there's no doubt in my mind I would have gutted it out you know this these kinds of stories kind of reiterate that that the hockey yeah. players you know are, are able to do those types of things yeah for yeah sure. I mean that's what that's why it's like I see people talk about like well we couldn't we shouldn't gaslight players playing through injury but this is something these guys have envisioned accomplishing their whole life this is their life. This yeah. is, I mean, I can't imagine getting your name etched on the Stanley Cup is like a lifetime achievement. That of course you're gonna do everything in your will willpower when you when you like their blood, sweat, tears, like everything that you've gone through your entire life to get to this one moment to have your name on the Stanley Cup, the greatest trophy in sports. Dude, I'll, I'll play through broken sternum. Like I, I don't, I don't blame the players for going through and playing through all those injuries that they've gone through. I mean, I, I, I commend them really. They've prepared their whole lives for this, and it's like you, you have to, you would have to tell them no. You can't get mad at the player for wanting to play through this. And you know, I, I, I watched Paul Maurice after. It's like Kachuk. You knew it had to be horrible for Kachuk to not play. And it was, it was bad. You know, he could have been done some serious damage if he played that game five. It's like, yeah, I don't ever knock these guys. I mean, it's not up to, if, if the team thinks that it's going to make the team worse, if the coach thinks it's going to not help the team, it's up to the coach and the staff to say, you're not playing, but I'm never going to get on a player for saying that they want to play because this is what they do. This is their livelihood. This is what they've trained their entire lives for. And I think it's insane to think that they wouldn't want to play regardless. So, yeah, I, I don't. I think people that that say that they don't get it. I, I mean, like I, I never played anywhere near this level, but I, I played in college and I had my before a championship game had my foot in a bucket of ice for the entire night, twenty on, twenty off, because I could walk. I had, a, I had an ankle sprain that was brutal. I was playing the next day though, and there was no way I wasn't and they would have had to peel me off. It's just the way it goes. I mean, it's how you're wired. So I'll never, ever get on players for wanting to play. It's If the coaches and staff want to, and the training staff say it's got to stop, you can't go, you can't go. But the player's going to want to play. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I want to get your, the guys' thoughts too real quick on the whole Vegas. Like, I know, I know they're the Pacific Division and whatnot, but do you guys think that, Vegas is like a big rival of the Kings because me personally, I don't, I mean, I guess you can go back to that uh, playoff matchup that they had, but even then, I mean, it wasn't really, it doesn't really feel I, like it was so, it was kind of a lopsided matchup because of the whole, like the Kings were kind of on the sunset of their, their championship years. I mean, Vegas kind of had a really good team just from the start. So it never really felt like a whole rivalry was being born there, but what, what do you guys think? Brandon, I'll, I'll just start with you. I think it's one side. You think it's one-sided? But, but do you think I, it's an actual think, rivalry between both teams? Like, with I think it's – no. I think – well, between the teams, I don't know, right? Because you, you've you heard, like, the, there's lots of Kings fans that don't like the Ducks, but Dowdy was like, yeah, well, like, us Ducks players hang out, but I can't stand playing San Jose, right? So it's like, do the 
players feel that. I don't know. But, like, I know plenty of Vegas fans, and they could care less about the Kings, right? Like, I think that rivalry is yeah. one-sided. I think it's like, hey, they came into the league. They were good right away. People thought, hey, they would suffer, right? William Carson's your number one seed. They're going to suffer in this in this year. And then they ended up, you know, making the playoffs and blowing the door out thing. Kings fans were like, man, like we had it, like we had oh, like a long time to be good, let alone win a cup. And there's still some teams that have never won a cup. And you're like, you're, you're making waves right away. So I think it's almost like, I think it's like a jealousy rivalry from the Kings standpoint where Vegas could care less about the Kings. I don't even know if King, the Vegas really has a rivalry at this point because there hasn't been like the knockout drag out playoff series in like back-to-back years or geographically. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we'll see that when the Kings get or, or stay good for the next couple of years and, and then they're up on the, the totem pole and then that geographical location might play a factor into it. Uh, but I also think the scheduling has eliminated a lot of the, the new rivalry making because now you're playing every team in the Eastern Conference. There's not as many games against uh, your own division. To be honest with you, I think that's solely for money. It has nothing to do with growing the game or rivalries because now you have one game there, one game here against Eastern Conference. What they should do is it should be every other year. You play that team one time, it should be every other year, whether it's home or away, get another division game in there. And, and usually those games come down to the wire where – a lot more to do with the standings, a lot more to play. But it's like I could care less about a game against Ottawa or the Maple Leafs or whatever in L.A. Like I know fans want it. I know ticket sales demand it. But it really doesn't mean anything to me. Like I would rather see, if I was a season ticket holder, the matchups day-to-day. I'd rather see the Edmonton Oilers. I'd rather see the Sharks come in and play rather than these random teams from the Eastern Conference that there's really no emotional investment in. Like you look at all the matchups throughout history, Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers. It's all those things about have been brewed over time, and the schedule is is not uh, is not helping that. Like I think they need to really reconsider how they're doing the schedule going forward. I I am curious the answer, but you know, your both of your thoughts on this because it's a little different for me. I don't live there, so I don't always have like that hatred quote unquote like with the fans or whatever because i'm on the other side of the country like for me i don't know i can't tell you that there's a hockey team that i hate like i hate the red Sox. okay i cannot stand them i hate the dallas cowboys i hate the philadelphia eagles i'm a giants fan so like i but i don't hate any hockey team i'm a i'm a hockey i've been around it my entire life so i just love the game like, there are times when, yeah, like, I hated the Ducks for a little bit, like, for brief times. But I couldn't care less about the Ducks now. I hate their horn and their stupid goal song. But other than that, I can get over that. The Sharks, again, I I didn't – I hated Joe Thornton sliding across the ice when they when they beat the Kings. That, and the Kings were just starting to turn that, that mm-hmm. playoff corner. But, like, now – like, to me, a hatred is, like, it stays forever. Like that's what, and I don't, couldn't care less about the Sharks or the Ducks right now, but it's like, and and same thing with Vegas. I love Vegas. (laughs) Like I hated them when the Kings, when they beat the crap out of the Kings in that playoff series. But like, again, it was short lived. Like I love watching this team. I've loved them since day one, you know, and I love watching Edmonton. So it's hard for me. Like I'm not, maybe I just feel like maybe I've always had a little disconnect because I've never lived in the area. It's either that, or I just like, 
hockey so much to where maybe I'll have little brief moments of hating certain teams or not liking certain teams or whatever because of a playoff matchup. But in general, I, I've never felt that strong. Like I can't stand them. So here you go, and from Anthony, you don't hate the Oilers, Joe? No, I love the Oilers. I like, <gasps> yeah. love, like, I love watching. There's, well, this will be this will be Joe's last podcast, a part of Hockey Royals. <laughs> we will find a new host. Like, It'll be I, Russell. <laughs> I love watching the Oilers. Like I love great teams, great players. McDavid, Drysaddle. I think like love the, is a strong word. Do you is okay? It, is it love or is it appreciate? It, you appreciate, sure, appreciate the, it. Yeah, I mean, I love hockey. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't have an emotional response to the Oilers. That no. would be love. Okay, right? like f- fair enough, fair enough. But like, I just love hockey. I love the sport. So when it's would done you well, consider would you consider the Oilers a bigger rival now for the Kings than even the Sharks? Right now, in the because that's the thing. Yeah, like right now, they've met in back to back years in playoffs, and the games in the regular season have had a pretty high temperature to them at times. So yeah, like I I um I can definitely sense that if I had to pick a team that would be the biggest Kings rival right now, it'd probably be be Edmonton. But if you were to ask a Kings fan like maybe Russ, who remembers when he was younger and like Anaheim was a big rival, he lives right there. Right. So maybe to Russ it's different. You know, I remember hating Dallas back in the day. Um, because they were really good for a while. Um but like again, it's so small because I'd maybe hate them when I watch them. But then I like I wouldn't mind them watching another team. Like if Dallas was playing Chicago, I couldn't care who wins the game. I just love watching the game, you know. So that's where it's like right now. If I were to watch a baseball game, I hope Boston loses every game against every opponent ever. But I don't have that with any NHL team. I just I'll, I can turn, just root for a good game unless I'm betting against them. Like I hate the Islanders because they always beat when when I'm betting against them. <laughs> so you're so you're <laughs> Loyalty is based on money for Joe. All right. In, in that sense. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It is, it is Kings. Like, I love the Kings. They're my – I get an emotional reaction to the Kings. So, so like, I really pull for them. But I don't have the same like – somebody's mentioned in the, the Blackhawks. I did never once hated the Blackhawks. Never once. And they played in knockout, drag-out playoff series. Right? Didn't – that never – Resonated because it was such good series. They were such good hockey games. Like I didn't dislike yeah. the team at all. Yeah, the, those Blackhawks King series. I never felt like a rivalry. It was almost like a respected, like competitive yeah. matchup that the Kings were always up against. It's like you knew the Blackhawks were the best opponent. You would have to get through them at some. It point. It was like so a good like, duel. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're you're you never hated them. I mean, it's because like the Blackhawks never really had anybody a player really that you could just hate either. I mean, Jonathan Taves and. And Patrick Kane were just like really good hockey players, and I guess like for right now, I mean, I, I understand like I'm like, I don't like the Oilers. I mean, I'm a I I, I could say you could say I kind of hate the Oilers, and, and a lot of it I guess goes to some of the antics with some of their players. I mean, Evander Kane hasn't been too nice to some of the Kings players. You could say the same thing with Darnell Nurse and Drysaddle and Mick McDavid, even with what he did with Anderson. So so I get that sense. That's kind of where I come from there. I mean, but for me, I mean, the number one rival for the for the Kings has always been the Ducks, and that's just because, like you said, Joe, they're they're right outside yeah. in my backyard. Yeah. And like, I grew up in Orange County. My one of my best friends growing up was a Ducks fan. So 2007 was like hell to me. I mean, I was just like getting it from all ends. And but it was good that we got two, and you still have that two to one kind of argument there. But so yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's kind of always been the Ducks. But I mean, I guess it kind of fluctuates because because yeah, we haven't had that. 
besides the Oilers, we haven't really had that rival. I mean, even going back to the Sharks, you, you it seems like you were facing the Sharks almost every other year when the Kings were kind of getting going. But because of the schedule, like like Randon mentioned, I agree. I think the schedule right now is just not good. It's not it's not maintaining those rivalries that you're seeing based off the playoff structure that's implemented right now. Like you're the Kings could end up facing the Oilers the next five years in the playoffs just because of the way the playoffs are structured. But you only play them three times in the regular season. Like, how does that make any sense? It makes no sense. You're not going to keep that rivalry going. Like, I want to see them play the Oilers like five times in the regular season. I don't, I'm with you, Ray. I don't need to see them play the Ottawa Senators or the Florida Panthers or anything. Like, who cares? Who cares about that? Besides, besides the whole Brendan Lemieux, Brady Kachuk thing. I mean, I would like to see them go to like maybe like more of a play them one time, like a home one one time and then away the next year and then go back and forth. Like that seems to make more sense. And then maybe they would have like you'd restrict a little bit of travel too for some of these teams. So maybe the players would go for it. But I don't know. I think I think rivalries could be a little bit better in terms of the NHL, kind of generate a little bit more fanship that way. Not only that, it would reduce travel for players. So that means more time for resting, more health. Uh, less broken sternums. Uh, so Gary Bettman, uh, you know, obviously he's watching this pod. So, you know, put that in your notebook, big guy. Obviously. Yeah. Um, no Border Sports coming here. Much friend of mine. Smash that like button. Appreciate it, No Border. Uh, if you like uh, football, he does a lot of stuff with uh, football on his YouTube channel. So go check him out uh, if, you, uh, if you like the NFL. So let's get into our topics here. Like I said, it's going to be a debate style. So Joe's going to take a stance. Russell's going to take a stance. And then we're going to kind of, kind of talk around it. First one here. If one of these guys is to make the Kings roster and be on the right side of the D, obviously we both said we want both these guys on the roster. But if only one can make it, is it going to be Jordan Spence or Brant Clark? So, Joe, I'll let you start on this one. You can have opening remarks. Which side are you taking here today? I'm going to take Jordan Spence. Um, I He is just a little further along. Um, I don't know what else he has left to prove. He's played in 87 AHL games. He, or excuse me, he's got 100, over 100 AHL games. He's got 87 points, 79 of which are assists. He was first-team All-Star in 22, all-rookie team in 22, had another big year this year. He's played in 30 NHL games. He's played in a few playoff games, including, well, obviously because they didn't get out of the first round, against those hated Edmonton Oilers. He's been in that environment. Um, I think he's ready. I mean, I don't know what else he's got to do at the professional level. Like, again, he's doing this. He's doing all this. I don't know. What's the math on that, Randon? 87 points in 102 games as a defenseman? it's it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. I will say I know a lot of it's been on the power play, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, he, the Kings are going to need a, a – a, you're probably looking at these two, Spence and Clark, as potentially, you know, PP1 and 2 in the not-so-distant future, depending on, you know, how long Dowdy's able to to stick around and be an impactful player. So I just think Spence has, has done so much at the pro level that I, I think his time is now. Well, Joe, I'm going to quote. Good open remarks. Good open remarks. Would you like a rebuttal there, Mister? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to quote one of my one of my favorite movies, Billy Madison, and say, "Everyone in this room is now dumber for what you have just said. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul." <laughs> I think. I think the real answer 
it should be Brant Clark. But I mean, I understand the, the Spence argument, but I mean, for me, it's just more or less the the upside that you're getting from Clark. And I think getting him in the AHL or starting him off in the AHL, sure, it could do good for his game. Maybe give give that bridge and, and give Spence the the turn because it seems like he's next in line, like Joe just mentioned. But I don't know. I just think Clark has that upside to be a better player than Spence. What Spence is, especially even now, I think it, it could be. And, and that's kind of like the type of player that the Kings need. If 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 we're all thinking that Clark is going to be this unicorn type defenseman that we all anticipate, then he should be in the lineup day one after uh, opening night. And and that's why, I mean, training camp will be fun to watch in terms of mm-hmm. some of these matchups and some of these position battles that we'll see, I mean, on the bottom six of the defense and then also in the bottom, um, not the bottom six, but the bottom pairings and then the bottom six of the forward lineup too. That'll be fun to watch. But in terms, for me, I think it's Brant Clark. It's just, I, 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 I like everything we saw in terms of what he did in the OHL. I think Kings fans were just gripping with anticipation, hoping that he would get a look and maybe even in the playoffs. Of course, that didn't really line up with their season ending, but I think after all the highlights that we've seen, the lacrosse goals he's pulling off, six points in a playoff game, I, I think Kings fans are just waiting and, and they're just ready to see uh, the type of play that Brant Clark can bring to the NHL. Richie Rich coming in here saying, I was really hoping Russ would say if being your pants <laughs> is cool, considering Miles <laughs> well, as I, the could judge, and quote, I can sit here and quote Billy Madison <laughs> and Happy Gilmore all day Love if you it. wanted me to. I so know. considering I'm the judge, uh, Russell, you I wonder which way Randy's going to go. By the way, literally, you just had to say <laughs> Brent Clark's name for me to decide that. But no, I, so I, I let's my my thing is this: is Clark it, draft capital's there. They he has the best or what top two or three best to season season by the defenseman in the OHL uh, was a, a optimal player on Canada's lineup where Jordan Spence was not. Uh, you look at, at the amount of impact that he's had on his team, pretty much carried his team through the playoffs as a defenseman with multiple goals per night. Um, we we got to stop protecting all these guys. And I think that's going to be a discussion for another time about how the Kings handle their prospects. But I think they should just let him fly. I do like what you said, Joe, is the fact that he's proven at a higher level as, as Spence, right? Like if Clark last year through the nine games had five points and they just decided to keep him down, you know, then you'd be really like, okay, he's already proven at the, you know, the the level of the National Hockey League, but they just didn't have the room, right? So, I, I I like Jordan Spence. I do think that the positive maybe for Jordan Spence, I think he's probably more defensively responsible as far as to where he might be able to earn Todd McClellan's trust. Has played up in the lineup more minutes at the NHL level. Not saying that Clark is a bad defenseman because that's already been debunked by most, multiple scouts. That he's not a bad defenseman. He's just not an elite defenseman. So I really think that this could be going either way. We both, all th- or all three of us want uh, both of them in the lineup starting uh, game one. Uh, how that looks, we'll, we'll see. But I, I really like both the arguments there. Can I ask? This is a spinoff, if you will, of this question yeah. because we have, as the roster sits right now, the bottom pair is potentially two of the two we're talking about, Spence Clark and Dersey, three right shot defensemen. Not only are they three right shot defensemen, they're three very young defensemen. My question is, do you guys think, and I'd asked this in one of the articles I wrote, because I'm, I'm not ruling out the fact that there's another defenseman coming in from outside the organization to play bottom pair to just shore it 
up a little bit. Do you think Blake and McClellan are the type? Are they going to really roll with a Spence Clark third pair? Are they going to really roll with a Jersey Clark third pair? It feels very off brand. I feel like there's going to be some sort of not a, I'm not talking a big name guy, but like in a, a, a lower cost, maybe a veteran type that is only going to be a couple million dollars to help these, this third pair and kind of anchor the third pair. I actually kind of, I know it's crazy with all this other stuff going on with the cap and other rumors that we'll get into, but I don't know. Do you think Blake and the organization will go with these three young guys as the bottom pair? Russ, I'll let you hit that first. Yeah, I think I mean you're you're thousand percent correct there. I mean, Joe, it's this, that would be totally away from the norm of what we've seen from Blake and Co. These last few years, they, they've tended to protect their prospects. But I don't know. I think that's kind of why I, I, I fluctuate back to maybe splitting up Gavrikov and Roy. Maybe mm-hmm. you give a little bit more protection to a player like Jordan Spence and Brant Clark by pairing them with a Gavrikov or, or Roy, however you see fit, and then leaving Jersey on the left side. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good question. Cause I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It, it's just, I mean, do you look at this defensive lineup with, let's just say it's those seven players with, you can sure. just think about it sure. in your head. I mean, yep. do you, do you see that defensive lineup winning a Stanley cup? No, neither do but I, what I like, right? but what I like about it, what I like about it, cause I've talked about, I want more skill in the lineup. And I think there's ways to, even if they stuck with the top four as is, right? Anderson, Dowdy. I, I consider me shocked if they split up Gavrikov and Roy, but maybe. I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense, too, when you say, depending on if they want to protect, offer a little protection for Spence and Clark. Um, but I think you can find ways to sprinkle in when there's an offensive zone faceoff. Maybe it's Gavrikov and Spence and not Gavrikov and Roy. You know, maybe on, in the different offensive zone faceoff, it's Gavrikov and Clark or it's Roy and Clark, right? You can you can break up the pair for a run through the rotation. You know, maybe if it's late in the game, if it's the third period in the last 10 minutes or so and the Kings are trailing, they need a goal, you shuffle it up a little bit and you get the skill guys out there because what do you have to lose? So I, I think the, the positive is I, I of having these two, the, the youth and the skill and the lineup is – even if they are together on the third pair, you can spot them in various, you know, uh, deploy them in various spots that are beneficial to them. Again, when the Kings need a goal, maybe on a second power play, things like that. So I think you can utilize it, but I don't know. I'm a little scout. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it is Russ, a cup winning decor because I, I and it, you know what? I think it's in part because, but that's what you're, 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 I'm going I'm to interject here a little bit because yep. I think I think that you're thinking of the team now. What is Jordan Spence going to be after 40 games, 60 games, 80 games? What is Brant Clark going to be? How much more offense is that going to add to the team? The experiment, the other experiment last year didn't work. Bringing him back mm-hmm. for the veteran this or this or that. He was a liability flat out, plain and simple. So is there – would we have been better off last season letting Rivari play – the amount of games that that Edler played, probably, we wouldn't have been any worse, right? right. So, like, it, where when are we going to take the handcuffs off these these prospects? I think the question this I think this is another pod topic here, but my question would be: Are the LA are the LA Kings about to be LA Rams, where we accumulate all these draft prospects and then trade them away for established players, 
and try to win way just because Dowdy and Kopitar are on this lineup. Well, that's kind of what they've said. Like they they're yeah. talking about winning, so I'm you know and. I think otherwise, what's the point? Why didn't you trade Dowdy and Kopitar? I guess Dowdy's impossible because of the contract. But why Why wouldn't you have really blown the whole thing up and really rebuilt? I think the point was to rebuild to win with these guys again. Otherwise, I think it's that's why they're here. The The, the, the point I would make, and it's, it's probably going to be pretty controversial, is, is maybe less about the depth of the D. And what I mean by that is like the second and third pairs. But... I don't know if the top pair is good enough. Look at some of these top pairs that have run through these playoffs. Look at what Vegas is able to put out there. I, I'm I'm not sure if that if it's the top pair that's quite at the level. And again, I, I like both players. Don't get me wrong. It's just I don't know. It feels it's a little less than some of the other teams. Then, have then like even a, more better for the for the Clark. Right, because you're looking at all the top defensive pairs have an elite defenseman, and Drew Doughty isn't elite anymore. So, is 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 it better to get Clark going and see what he can do, or Jordan Spence? Is, I mean, I don't think Jordan Spence is ever going to be a number one overall defenseman on the team, but Clark has the potential to be. Is it better to get him ice time rather than rely on an aging Drew Doughty to carry a team uh, in the playoffs? No, I I don't know. I think Doughty. I mean Doughty said it himself best that he just needs to play better i, I yeah. don't think i don't think you're gonna try to this thing he, is, that is, he, listen he is the top he's not moving from that i'm just i'm wondering i hope that it he's he's got to have that he's got to find his game like he did for the most of the regular season this year at least the first half of it yeah i think i think he can it's just i don't think you're gonna hand the keys over to brant clark over drew dowdy right now to with the hope that Clark can be better than Dowdy, because I'm not going to say I think Dowdy's the best defenseman on the Kings roster right now. I don't think there's a question in that. So, but is, I mean, but he's, gonna... is he McCarr? Is he Hedman? Is he? Well, Theodore? no. I mean, how is many teams have McCarr? How many? Yeah, how many teams have McCarr, Hedman, or all those? But I would players? put I mean, you're I talking put, about top ten players. I would put defensemen. twelve. I would put twelve Dowdy or fourteen Dowdy up in the top five defensemen in the NHL. But I would like. Like, would you put mm. him in that now? You know, probably not. I think what you're saying, what you mean, Randall, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm interpreting it as like a big reason the Kings were cup champions for a couple of years and a dominant team is they had an ace in that, an ace on the blue line, and an ace down the middle. And, exactly. and Dowdy Kopitar quick. And they really don't have that right now. They certainly don't have it in goal. Although nowadays it maybe is a little bit less. Kopitar, I still think, is a is a 1C, is a 1C. But is you know when you look at the other one Ds, where does Dowdy stack up compared yeah. to the other one Ds in the league? So maybe that's what Randon's getting at. And again, so that's why I like the idea of having these young guys to it again. It it can help spell some of the the legs for Dowdy, right? I mean, maybe he doesn't need to play power play. Again, maybe a crazy statement, a controversial statement, but he's getting up there. He's in such an important piece at five on five that maybe you help to scale back some of those minutes if you have a Spence or a Clark. And, you know, you can utilize those guys in special teams. You know, maybe that's an option to just help to ease up some of the minutes for Doughty. He's not getting any younger, so it's going to be tough to ask. Like, I think if you look at Vegas's time on ice, they didn't have guys playing Doughty minutes. You know what I mean? Petrangelo wasn't playing 28 minutes a night. He didn't have to because the decor was, was, was just so deep and solid. So I think that's where it comes into play. 
I also think that you're looking at people put so much stock into lines and D pairings. It's like the team is better off if everything is more evened out. Like that means you have way more depth, right? And less time. Like this team isn't going to win a cup with Kopitar and, and Drew playing 30 minutes a night. Like they need other people to step up. And I think Clark needs ice time. I think Jordan Spence needs ice time. And Joe, you took the words right out of my mouth. If, if, the Kings can have Jordan Spence and Clark be the one and two on the power play and save some ice time. Now, not saying all the time, but in games we're losing by, you know, four or five, or we're winning by four or five, and you really need to just let these guys just play. Like, don't be afraid to shuffle the lines. And I, I don't know if that's a T-Mac thing. I don't know if it's just a hockey in general thing because I've never coached. But it's it would seem to be that, hey, we're getting shelled. Let's let the third and fourth line play some more. Like, let's save these legs. Let's let Jordan Spence and Clark go out there and and really and do those things. But then you're also taking time and practice away out of Drew Doughty's hands to power play the or to be the quarterback of the power play. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, everybody knows the I'm the captain of the Clark train here, and I think he could run a power play one in the NHL right now. I think he's that good. But does Tom McClellan thinks, thinks so? Yeah, just play their players to their best strengths is what we're saying. I mean, Dowdy, probably what Dowdy's best at right now in the NHL is like puck retrievals. It's like the best part of his game. So, I mean, and I would say, like, I agree with you, Brandon. I would think Brant Clark and Jordan Spence even could be better power play quarterbacks than than Drew Dowdy. I I would probably even say Sean Dursey even up there in terms of their skill set. And I would leave, yeah, leave some of those, uh, some of that ice time for more five on five time for uh Dowdy. I mean, that's we've said this for how many how many years now for Kopitar. I mean, that, there's no re, there's really no reason to play Kopitar on the penalty kill anymore. You like they just you're just forcing him to play time and use more of his legs than he has to when you have other players who can be that they're hard that, minutes that, too. Yeah, and they're very hard minutes. And I understand he's like that's like probably what his number what his strength is is probably defensive side of his game. But it's also, I mean, you have to have him five on five, and you have to have him in important situations. And if he's killing penalties all game, it's going to be tough to have him out there. Are the Kings? I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this last little question, maybe a yes or no answer. Are the Kings able to make the playoffs without Kopitar being on the power play, without Doughty being on the power play? Well, let's keep in and mind save the, and save the minutes. That's what I'm saying. Save the minutes. It was really good this year. Remember, like we waited years to have a really good power play. Uh, so I know that's a, is a yes or no question there, Joe. <laughs> uh, yes, I'll say. I mean, are you saying like all the time, or just like spotting them here and there for Spot, spotting them to save some I'll, save the I'll, I'll, I'll say yes, but but understand that, that the PP was was largely improved this year, and those two were big parts of it. Yeah, I'll say yes in terms of maybe having pulling Dowdy back a little bit on the power play, but I think Kopitar still needs to be there. I think his playmaking and his his vision are pretty good. I mean, it's kind of hard. I guess I could say that same thing for Dowdy, but I think with, with the players I mentioned in terms of having Brant Clark and Jordan Spence in the wings, I mean, if you're going to have them on the ice and, and not give them power play opportunities, that, that seems kind of redundant. I mean, it seems like you're you're kind of wasting what they're, what they're really good at because, I mean, everything I've seen in Ontario with Jordan Spence seems like he's really more than capable than running a power play. Well, you guys in the chat are killing it, so keep it going there. Let's go into this next part here. But before we do that, we call DraftKings in for a line change. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs, which just ended, DraftKings. 
Uh, new customers can bet five dollars and bet up to two and get score up to two hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets instantly. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code THPN. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, let's get going here. Second one, I follow and Victor Arvidsson. Obviously, we moved some cap out to make some moves. Gavrikov got the extension, but hey, there's a lot of money that could be moved around. Do we need another goalie? Do we need uh, Velarde to sign, you know, a four by eight like a Caulfield here, or eight by eight by eight by like a Caulfield here? What's going on here? The cap we're cap strapped. Who is more essential to the team? to keep if and then send the other person away to make room for cap that is what we're doing here so go ahead russ you're starting this one off i think the person to keep here it's more essential uh i would say is arvidson and just i'm kind of basing that a little bit off of uh what he did last year i mean arvidson was easily probably our best playmaker (laughs) even in the playoffs i mean i thought he was one of our best players in the playoffs and and it's just tough because I know he's only got one year left and it, it, it doesn't really, I mean, if you, if you had me to put money on it, I would say he's probably not going to resign with the Kings just because I think he's going to outperform uh, his cost here or what they'd be willing to pay him. So, but I mean, if the Kings are looking to win, I think Arvidsson gives you the best opportunity to do so. I would say the reason to keep I a follow in this is because he's he's a he's a much more well-rounded player in terms of he plays both ends of the ice he can slot anywhere in the line i guess not to say i of arvidson couldn't but he can slot anywhere in the lineup and he's got the extra year um you know i think russ mentioned on a prior pod that he you know blake's a guy that likes his you know his assets and the control of his assets and he's got two years left on that deal does i follow so it maybe you could look at it to where it buys a little bit of time for the Kings to, to figure a little bit out. Um, so I, I think in that sense, when I look at what the roster is and the way how versatile Ayafalo is and playing both wings up and down the lineup. And I think I was going to say he's probably been a little bit healthier than, than Arvidsson, but I don't know, maybe not in the last couple of years, Ayafalo's had some injury issues, but maybe the extra year is what is what makes Ayafalo uh, a little bit more um, trustworthy to keep, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think both here have their ups and downs. You look at uh, VA, way more dominant, more consistent in the uh, in the playoffs. But the versatility of I follow makes sense, and I think the roster construction. Where where if we were to move somebody out, obviously somebody has to step in. So what is what does the rest of the construction look like for our roster? I think you could argue that uh, Samuel Fagimo could bring a similar aesthetic to the lineup as Victor Robertson. But is there really a, a a player on the rain that's ready to 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 digest real minutes that could could do what Ayafalo does on a day to day basis? It's hard to see that. No. Yeah. And listen, I mean, listen. I'll be honest too, though. You know, even even at putting um, Fagimo in for for like Arvidsson, say. That's still a tall task. Guy hasn't played a full season yet in the NHL. That's that's a yeah. tall ask. I mean, it's even a tall ask for Kaliev. We saw Kaliev struggle when he moved up in the lineup. So I do agree, though, Randon, that there's options. And at some point, we have to see if these guys can can play. Um, but I think to, to answer the question, Randon, as to what does it mean for the rest of the lineup, that depends. What are you moving out the space for? Are you moving out the space for somebody we're going to talk about later? 
are you moving out the space for a goalie? Because if it's for a forward, well, that changes things. If it's for a goalie, you know, it just depends on who's coming in with that space. Well, where do you think where do you think the depth of the prospect pool can absorb? What kind of player do you think they can? Is do we have more scores? Do we have more universal players? Right? Because if you if Alex Turcott is healthy, dude, that guy's a scrappy guy, offense, defense. He's not though, right? Yeah, so, but he's not. Like, you have those mm-hmm. things. Is is uh, is Jared Anderson Dolan able to have real minutes to where he could play a similar style that I follow, being that jigsaw piece in multiple lines? He has that talent, but he's not as defensively sound as I follow, right? So we're going to be obviously missing something from the team if we ship either of these out. Mm-hmm. But where where do you think the the depth of the Kings can absorb the hit the least? I guess if if depending on the player moved out, Russ, what do you think? Well, I think it's scoring. I think it is is what it is. Is and and if you're looking at trying to make up for what you're going to lose, whether it's from if you trade I follow Arvidsson, I think could. The Kings' ability to provide more offense that we've seen, especially last season, would be able to make up for losing a player like Arvidsson. I mean, from what I saw on I follow, he comes to, he comes to, across to me as a a big game type of player. Like we saw I follow take another step in this last playoff series against the Oilers. I thought he played really well. I think he was second on the team in goals with three goals in the, in the six games, and and of course a big goals too with the, the game winner in game one and, and whatnot. But yeah, so I mean, when I see I follow, it's he almost brings that kind of hard nose type of play, as opposed to but with Arvidsson, it's almost like that kind of finesse t- style where it's it's and it's almost like a, a clunky finesse style too with Arvidsson, but but he always seems to get it done. I mean, he had that excellent excellent pass uh, across the the ice. I forget which game it was, um, but yeah, so he's uh, he's shown that uh, capability to play make, but we have a lot of scorers. Um, in the forward group now. I mean, you have Kevin Fiala playing third line minutes. You have Gabe Velarde who was playing third line minutes. And it got to a point where we even had to put IF follow up on the first line just because Byfield wasn't able to perform. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's tough. You can make an argument for both of them. And I'm glad I, I kind of I like this. This we can see both sides here. But for me, I, I, I don't know. I just I just like uh, a lot of the aspects that IF follow brings, and he brings that big game mentality to the ice. Can I say too, and this is, I think we, Russ and I almost have like sort of almost flipped here and there. He, <laughs> how much he likes I follow. Am I crazy to say if you, if I follow is the one to deal, it actually offers the Kings a little bit more flexibility in a shorter time because now you've got two players making four plus million off the books next year. Like I follow will still be, if you trade I follow, there's his money off the books and you still, and then you only have Arvidsson for one more year. So it's really only one more year of one more player at that $4 million hit. So maybe it opens up a little bit of flexibility a little bit sooner to say, okay, rather than have I follow for another year after that, we got two spots basically opened up here within two seasons and backfill those with, again, the youth that Randon is talking about that has been praised for the last decade, it seems uh, by every prospect reporter. Does that make sense? I, no, I yeah. do. I, I like that that take there, Joe, because roster construction is going to be huge. Everybody's saying, hey, the cap's going to go up, the cap's going to go up. But but really, when is it going to go up, right? Like they, they thought it was going to go up this year. It's only going to go up, what, like a mil or so. So who knows? Maybe next year it doesn't go up again because they blame this or that or or, or whatever. Um, you know, I like that because then it frees up, frees up $8 million. So is that is that after an 80-point byfield season this year? 
where he needs some money? Is that after Velarde, uh, right. you know, backloading that deal? Is that bringing in another player? Because then you also have Kopitar going from 11 million to what, maybe six or seven, you know, that's enough. So you're looking at 13, 14, 15 million of free money going out there to, to better this team. This team can look significantly different if they decide to deal Iofalo versus Victor Arvidsson. I think that's a very interesting point, Joe. Yeah, but if if you if you lose both of them though next year, I think both of them give you an opportunity to win now more than they would two younger players. Well, so I think that the idea, at least for where I'm coming from with that, is for 2023-24, if we assume that one of these guys is gone because they to open up space for something else, be it a goalie, be it a defenseman, be it yeah. a forward, that my argument for Ayafalo, if I were to make one. Because how much I, I agree with your takes on on Arvidsson that I think he's a he's overall a better player is that it gives it, it now we get one another year where Byfield, Velarde, Kaliev, Kupari, Fagimo, Chromiak, all these these prospects have another year to play professional. So then Arvidsson may be gone, but you've hopefully one of these guys is ready to step into a larger role, even if it's not like a first-line role. If it's a middle six role, you would really hope that at some point some of these guys are ready to do that because otherwise, again, topic for another pod, then we've missed big time on a lot of different <laughs> prospects. So, you know what I'm saying? So I think and, – and again, look at the way teams win cups. Like, you need cheap guys, and all mm-hmm. those guys would be cheap playing – they don't have to play – impact roles but complementary roles like hypothetically if somebody's on a second line with Dano and Fiala say you know they can be a good complementary player right they don't have to drive the line per se you know Byfield was a really good player for a lot of the regular season with Kopitar and Kempe it's not as if that he we all wanted him to produce more but it was working while he was producing the way he was and eventually the idea is next season maybe he produces a double the points type of thing right so that's that i, I think I'm, I'm looking at it in that lens is is it's either they can go younger or again they they go they go be, make an aggressive trade for example uh to bring somebody in so i think i think we do a whole pod i think we do a whole pod on can they can the Ram or can the Kings be the Rams of the, the NHL and just deal everybody? Uh, so I, just and, want, I think I think fans are just waiting for a prospect to just just bang on the door. Just like well, we've been talking demand about this. that ice time ice time, all, right? All the top ten picks, Byfield, Turcott, Clark, we need and Velarde, like we need two out of the four to hit in a major way for the rebuild to be successful. Like I understand like you're gonna get players here and there and there's underdog stories or whatever, but you're looking at the players that drive the NHL are generally top 10 picks, right? So Eichel, Las Vegas, two overall, you know? Oh, uh, weird stat right here. This is kind of cool. The second player drafted after all the Edmonton first overall picks have won a cup and none of the Edmonton players. <laughs> have won a cup. I saw that. I saw so, um, so, and then Anthony coming in here, well, maybe 15 million. That sounds like enough for Austin Matthews. So maybe there's some math there that can make that worth math for Matthews. But I just think it's very interesting here because I think 
I really do think the Kings organization has gotten comfortable with uh, the potential of, of winning seasons and all that kind of stuff because none of us thought that the the team was a cup team and then we we're all like, hey, the the it's a weak Pacific division. Well, who won the Stanley Cup? Vegas in the Pacific division. Who went far? Uh, that was Edmonton. Like the, the whole the Pacific division wasn't as weak as we thought. And so it's con- not going to continue to be as weak as we thought either. That means the Kings have to be aggressively more uh, in, in that division to even make waves going on. Just like, I don't want to be the, the type of team like the Minnesota Vikings, who is like, oh, we're good in the regular season. We never make waves because that's what the sharks. That's what the oh, that's that's a that's a that's a deep dive there that I love. Thank you, Russ, for that. But I, I just don't want to be that team where we're good in the regular season. We never make waves in the playoffs because we're not we're afraid to make moves. You know who wasn't afraid to make moves? Vegas. They just made all the moves whatsoever. They said, F the cap. They said, we're going to get good guys in here and we're going to make it work. So is that what the, is a prospect? That's what Vegas says. Yeah. <laughs> so is that the is that the is that the MO? Is that building it from the bottom? Is that, you know, there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat, as they say, even mm-hmm. though I've never skinned a cat. But I just think that there's something to be hard to look at because right now I I think the Kings are on a fence and they don't know what side they want to be on. And if you're not on any side, then you're not doing anything 100% and this team's just going to be in limbo. And that's something I'm afraid of. Hey, we have to win a cup for Kobitar. Oh, we have to let these prospects nurture. We have to do that. It's like, yeah, I understand all that. And I, it all seems good and you can make all the points in your head, but eventually the team's got to make a decision to go forward. Hey, we signed to know. We're going to maybe portray for a guy that we're going to talk about later. Hey, we need an elite goalie. We need this and that. Hey, this and that. Kopitar is getting all we want. All that good stuff. All that noise. But I, I'm not okay with 100-point seasons. I want a ring on an, and I want another ring on the finger. I want to hoist the cup. I want to be able to go to L.A. this time because I didn't have enough money back in the days of 12 and 14 to pay for, for playoff tickets, and maybe I still don't considering that <laughs> – Game five tickets by the glass for 20K. But that's something that they should aspire for. So let's move on to the next round here because we got a couple more topics and we're already almost at an hour here. Next one, goalie decision. So we have Copley and N there for our goalies for next season. Uh, we've talked about the bargain bin route, and there's been plenty of trade talk going on about whether um, whether we should trade for Soros or Hellebuck or anything like that. So, Joe, I think you have been the bargain bin guy all season. I think you're going to take that side, aren't you? Well, I was going to take the side of a, whether we go UFA or trade. And I was going to say trade, but here's the thing, Brandon. Okay. I actually don't necessarily subscribe to trade for Hellebuck or trade for Soros or trade for one of the top guys. I will be more willing to trade for an Ilya Samsonov from Toronto, an RFA. I'd be more willing to trade for a Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey, an RFA. Two guys that are that may need to relocate depending on what their teams do with their goaltending. Um, so I actually am I'm okay still with the bargain um, if they do it right. And I actually would prefer I'm okay going the trade route to do so. Uh, and there's a few options in the trade route 
that I think could be available to the to in the market um, that I would do. And I, I've always I've long been a Mackenzie Blackwood fan. I think he's battled some injuries and some inconsistent play, but I think in a Kings, the way they play their defensive structure, you know, New Jersey plays a little bit more up and Adam style, especially even. But and then before last few years prior to this one, they weren't very good at all. Um, but Mackenzie Blackwood, had, he's a talented, talented goalie, good size to him. He's had a really good season under his belt in the NHL. He's capable, uh, and I think he could be a decent option to go, um, you know, split 60-40, 55, you know, 45 with a Phoenix Copley. And I, and I don't think the Kings would be that bad off for it. I mean, for me, I'm going to go even more bargain here. And I, I, it's weird because I've kind of come around to the notion where I think the Kings already have their opening night starter in that on the roster in Copley. And I don't see any reason to why you'd have to pay more money to go out and get a bigger name goalie, especially from what we've seen in the playoffs this past year. I mean, we just we just saw Aiden Hill, who was traded for a fourth-round pick, who's kind of a nobody, beat Sergei Bobrovsky, who's getting paid $10 million a year. I mean, yeah, Bobrovsky maybe has a little bit more of a, a dangerous past to him. But, I mean, it, it is what it is in terms of what we've seen in some of these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs these last who couple were, years. You who, saw it. who was the, who was the uh, goalie for the Lightning when they won their, their multiple championships? One of the best goalies of all time. That's a little okay. different. But okay. even Darcy Kemper after that against Colorado, that was kind of a nobody. Benning, I'm going to say nobody. Yeah, Bennington Maybe. before that. He Vasilevsky's the exception. Vasilevsky's I mean, the exception. What, what, like, we, we had the conversation. So Jonathan Quick where, wasn't a top five goalie in the NHL when he won? Homegrown goalie drafted in the by the team. That's a little different, too. But, but he was still I mean, making we're, we're, he was still making top dime when he won the Cup. Yeah, and that was because, well, I mean, I think that's a little different when you're drafting a goalie and, and nurturing him and developing him yourself as opposed to where the Kings are right now. I mean, we're, the Kings don't have anybody that they can call up and, and or that they feel comfortable to call up in their own system. I mean, as much as I love Valalta, I, I wouldn't want him backing up Copley day one. So, I mean, for, for me, I think it's just you you go with – like like what I was going to say was we've, we've had the conversation where we were wondering what would have happened in the series if Copley had started a couple games. Just because of – I mean, you brought in Corpus who Yeah, he's had 80-plus save – performance in the playoffs but what what would have Copley have done could would he had made that save against Hyman in overtime I don't know would he had made that save against Evander Kane in game six who knows but I don't know so I think if if the Kings were playing so well I mean they won on a 11 game what 11 game 12 game point streak in March with Copley as their as their goalie I mean and Corpus kind of backing him up and those were both kind of what less than three million dollars a year I wouldn't be too, too disappointed if they went out and got a another goalie who's getting paid one or one point five million dollars a year and save some of that money to bring in another left mm-hmm. shot defenseman that we were talking about earlier, or maybe even another high profile forward that we're we're thinking of. So that's where that's kind of where I'm at. I I would say the the downside to that is is when it comes to playoffs, coaches are just so reluctant to alternate. They're going to go pick a guy. And I think the idea is doing what we want to do. I don't think any of us want Phoenix Copley playing 55 games this year. I don't think any of us would want, in my example, a, a Blackwood or a Samson of playing 55 games this year. Yet they could be asked to play 20 plus 30 games in playoffs if the goalie, if, if a team wants to ride a goalie. Like, 
And so if you're going to do that and play the 1A, 1B game in regular season, you've got to be willing to do that in playoffs. And I think that's right now where we haven't gotten there really yet with teams that are willing to do that. So if you're going to go the bargain route, which I think we I'm on board with, you have to be willing to, to go that route and, and alternate if need be. But it's a it's a things that you don't see happen very often. I just I still have Cal PTSD is what I have. I'm kind of reluctant to give another goalie a large contract right now or even pay for goalie. That's why, like, when I see the Connor Hellebuck talk, I mean, I'm like, uh, one year left. He's going to be UFA. You're going to have to resign him if you want to trade for him now because you don't want another Milan Lucic kind of situation. So do you, would you be willing to give Hellebuck $7 million a year? It's a risk, and I, yeah. I don't think it's a risk I'd be willing to take. Yeah, and well, none of you, none of you have the huevos to to go the top shelf, so I'm going to do it because this is supposed to be a debate here, and you guys are just broing bromancing over there. So <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to say this: Who, uh, Corey Crawford, right? Three cups, second overall, second round pick, top. He was a top elite goalie for most of his career uh, uh, during at least the cup run. You have Vasilevsky, you, and then multiple finals. You have players that were all drafted in the first round. I think you're looking at yeah. It can get done when you have a lot of elite pieces everywhere. But do we think we have the Kings have a lot of elite pieces everywhere? No, I don't think we do. I don't think we do have elite pieces anymore. Aging Dowdy, aging Kopitar. You have Fiala is going to have to carry this team. None of the prospects have really made a second step. The only way the Kings are making noise in the playoffs is if an elite goalie gets hot at the right time and UC Saros or Hellebuck can make that happen. So if we're really trying to win right now and you're trying to piece together and make yourself feel good about all these bargain goalies getting wins in the regular season, that's not what it's about. You need a guy that's going to stape up, put his huevos on the table, and carry a team during the playoffs, and that ain't any of the guys that you mentioned. It's going to be UC Soros or Hellebuck for this team. End note. Mic drop. Let's go. I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying in terms of in terms of that. Like, Yeah, like you could – find Hellebuck and ride him through the playoffs. You get Saros, you ride him through the playoffs. I think that's – I'm not – and I won't sit here and argue that they're not better goalies than the rest. It's just at their price tag, are you limiting yourself to what you could add to a forward group? I guess, you know, the, the, you know if you were to start – this is a total – not totally off topic, but, like, if you were to pick a – you know, I don't know, pick a guy to start a, a, a franchise with – do you start the franchise with like, you know, a high-end player, a Jack Eichel, or do you start a franchise with Vasilevsky? But this isn't Chell, Joe. That'd be a good debate, actually. I mean, I'd, this I'd isn't this, this isn't this isn't this isn't NHL. This is this is real life. And right now, the Kings aren't elite. But I guess what aspect. I'm what, what I'm so saying the is the only way they're going to win a cup is if they have an elite goalie. If you, mm. my point is, is if you can get go cheap in net it gives you more money to spend for an impact player elsewhere in the lineup that are playing more minutes that are going to be playing in, in more roles and bigger roles that, that the goalie, I think as long as the Kings. So, have, so, so lefty? Oh wait, we already signed a guy lefty. We already signed two guys lefty. Oh, you're talking about forward. Oh, we have, we have Dano and we have an aging Kopitar. Where are we putting these uh, impact players that you're talking about? Oh, Fiala's there, right? Like there's no money. There's already money generated in those spots. What I'm saying is there's zero money. Copley, hey, this this uh, newsflash right now. 
Copley might have been an anomaly last season. He might be straight sure. trash next season. So we're going to have another bargain bin old goalie to try to carry a team that you're expecting to only maybe do 30, 40, 45 games. And if Copley's trash, he's doing 50, 60 now. Then we're putting the team in a bind, and then we're going to have to do another, another series here. I, the Kings have already traded away multiple firsts. I wasn't a fan of it. If y'all fine, phenomenal trade, well worth it. This last first, I was not a, a fan of it for, for Gavrikov, even though he re-signed. I feel like the team could have got better regardless. But if you're saying that Hellebuck or Soros, who's an elite goalie, his entire career, you trade two first and multiple prospects for, great. Get it done. Because he could still be goalie for the next five, six, seven years for this team. Not a problem. And, and so I, I don't understand the hesitation of going out and getting a guy like that. Because it's like, oh yeah, we can piece it together. We're trying to do this. That's just that, that's just couch GMs like we are, I guess, here at Hockey Royalty, saying that we can make ourselves feel better about that. But and realistically, we don't have Nathan McKinnon. We don't have we don't have Jack Eichel on our team to carry this team. Our decor isn't even even close to as good as Colorado or Vegas. So you're gonna need a goalie to ride and be an elite team a player to carry this team, in my opinion. Well, I mean, the only thing that scares me, it's funny because I don't, I don't think Hellebuck's going to be as expensive as, as anybody thinks he is. I mean, he's, he's a pending UFA. Mm-hmm. He's kind of made it known he doesn't really want to be there. Um, everybody's Tomorrow, I think st- he's 32. It's not like he's... Yeah, he's not a young guy. I mean, everybody's kind of getting scared of goalies. Everyone else's uh, GMs are seeing who's winning Stanley Cups. I mean, with Aiden Hill, obviously, and and Darcy Kemper the year before that. I, I, so this, this notion that Hellebuck's going to cost, like, first round picks and prospects. I don't think it's going to be that expensive. I mean, you could probably even get John Gibson for pretty cheap. I mean, I was listening to a Ducks podcast and they were talking about retaining money for, for Gibson because of how bad he was. So it's like, I would be I think, all in on that. Yeah. I think, I think goalies aren't that, that price tag with what the player would want is probably what scares me more than what the actual cost to acquire him would be. And and that's where I'm with Joe. I mean, you look at some of these other teams, and they're just deep. I mean, do you? I'll ask you this, Brandon. Do you think the Kings are a Stanley Cup team if they just had Connor Hellebuck in that right now they, with the roster they have right now? They stand a better chance. hundred percent. We're talking about we're talking about rings. Do you think they win a Stanley Cup with Connor Hellebuck in that, or they can't win a Stanley Cup? Would with they Connor have Hellebuck? beaten Edmonton? Would they have beaten yeah. Edmonton last? easily? I think they would have beaten Edmonton. Oof, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. I just think they're still. You don't think that he's. On. You don't think that he's that much more better than Corpusalo or Copley to where. Like, no, I, I'm not saying he's. I think he's way better than than those two players than those two goalies. It's just I don't. I don't see the team as a whole being better with just Hellebuck in that. When you're not addressing like we were talking about with having maybe another left shot defenseman. Or having maybe another bottom six center that you can rely on, as opposed to a player like Kupari, or even the other player we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So I, I think there's other pl- places and other pieces you can get. I mean, let's say that Hellebuck wants seven million dollars a year in his next deal. I mean, I'd rather spend a, a million, one point five million dollars a year on a goalie and pay five million dollars for another solid winger or solid center. So I mean, that's kind of where I'm at in that whole conversation. Do you ever have to worry about UC Soros being effective? No. Do you ever have to worry about Hellebuck being effective in that? 
No, I think he's played more games than everybody. That's another thing with okay. Hellebuck, too. So, he's so played my, more minutes than any other goalie. So, that, I mean, you're talking about, like, with same thing that they're talking about with running backs in the NFL. I mean, who knows what the kind of – how many more legs he's got underneath him. But, yeah, with Soros, I, I guess you can I'm have that saying, I'm just, I'm just saying that I'm saying you're looking at these guys. You don't have to worry about them. Yeah, they're going to be in the top 10 every year in effectiveness. Yeah, whether yep. you're going to be truly elite and taking away games like Jonathan Quick or Vasilevsky, that remains to be seen. But you always know they're going to show up to the table. If Kings fans think Copley is going to be the guy that he was last year, you are dreaming. There's a better chance that he is the AHL goalie that we signed versus the, the all-star that he was last year. And so this team, if we're going to be effective in the Pacific, which is way better than what people think, you're going to need a goalie that's going to be effective. Now, whether that's Varlamov, whether that's the bargain bin, and you play 40-40 and just hope for the best, I get it. Or if it's the, hey, let's go get UC Soros, and he plays 50 games, and Copley plays the rest, but then we ride Soros in the playoffs to give him some, some rest, I'm 100% fine with that. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that I think that this – that truthfully my true opinion is i think you can go either way and there's multiple ways to construct a team obviously but i don't think if if i'm really arguing the situation all the teams that have had cheap goalies like aiden hill or or kemper have been elite at every other part of the team and they were able to overcome that and i don't think that's the los angeles kings at this moment one one a, last thing yeah. one last thing i'll say is i mean Copley wasn't an all-star goal. I mean, he he was mediocre at best. He was competent. He he was, he was giving the Kings average goals, and they were winning games with him. I mean, he was like he's. I'm looking at it right now. He's 24th in goals saved above expected mm-hmm. per 60 for all goalies who play 20 games. So that's where the team has has that right now. They don't need to rely on a Jonathan Quick to steal games for them three two two to one. They can score four or five goals a, a night and then still win games and have give up three goals. But Russ, you don't trying wanna... to win games or are you trying to win cups? Do a little bit, I, would, yeah. I would say of the ones to acquire, Randon, I, I think Hellebuck would be the cheapest as he's a pending UFA. I mean, Saros has got a couple years. Demko, who you guys know I love, he's got like four more years. So I think those guys would be a little bit more costly. Saros has been such a huge part of that that whole franchise that I think they would try to, if they're going to trade him, they're reloading and like rebuilding. So they're going to try to get a bundle. And I don't know that the Kings have it anymore because of some of the picks they've dealt. So they, yeah. I don't know that they have the, the goods to acquire Saros, but they may to acquire Hellebuck. Something. Speaking of acquiring people could, across could have, the North. Could have Wallstead. Could have Wallstead. But then we wouldn't have Clark. Ooh, I could have that debate. No, they could have had a wall set by really if they, offering yeah, more if they money. Really wanted to go for it and trade, trade back in the first round. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. This last topic here: PLD or not to PLD? That is the question. Uh, that's Pierre Luc Dubois. So obviously upset. Uh, he's always upset. He never. He's never happy as a hockey player or as a human being. Uh, but he's uh, <laughs> trying to go into his third team here. And uh, but hey, third overall pick. Uh, he is a center, I guess. I wouldn't call him elite or not, um, in my opinion. But we'll talk about this going forward. Joe, I know you're a huge PLD fan, but you're taking the no PLD on this debate. Why shouldn't the Kings trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois? There's a few reasons for the, the Kings not to make this trade. One is 
the acquisition cost, you know, unlike, um, you know, I, I, I think he is going to be somebody that is going to cost. It may make sense for the Kings to trade Gabriel Velarde in this deal. Uh, because again, if I don't know how you sign both of these guys, we're talking about not having cap space. I don't know how you bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois, sign him to an extension, presumably, uh, and then also sign Gabe Velarde, unless they're going to somehow be able to pull off a Mikey Anderson agreement with Gabe Velarde. So I think the acquisition cost, both from the the players, which could be, again, Velarde plus a prospect and a pick maybe, or you're probably going to have to send some money, so maybe it's an Arvidsson or an follow to bring him in, is going to be heavy. Then again, what's the contract that he gets? Uh, I know Elliot Friedman has speculated it's it's in that, you know, it could hit $9 million. Russ, I think you shared evolving hockey. It could actually be less than that. I I kind of think he's going to get like an eight million dollar deal. Uh, so again, that's if he's going. He's a he's a locked in top six center, and whether or not he's able to make that jump to elite first line center, he's only twenty four. Right? And again, I think people forget how young he actually really is. He's twenty four, turning twenty five, which is he's not that much younger or older, I should say, than Gabe Velarde. But is he able or will he be willing to take that next step to be that bonafide first-line center to take over for Andre Kopitar in a couple of years? I think that's it's a reasonable question. Um, and somebody mentioned it in this chat, like, hey, Austin Matthews just might hit free agency. So <laughs> if you sign Dubois, you might not have the money for Matthews. So uh, I will end it with with that. So there's my my the it, uh, largely around acquisition cost um about not acquiring Pierre Luc Dubois. Russ, what, yeah, what's I'm the reason a, why we should say yes. I'm all for Pierre Luc Dubois. And the reason we're talking about this uh is Elliot Freeman's mentioned in the 32 Thoughts podcast that he does with Jeff Merrick is that he's hearing that from teams around the league that the Kings are going to be all in or going to go really heavy on trying to get Dubois from Winnipeg. And when I heard that, it, it caught me off guard because obviously you look at the salary cap situation with the Kings right now. And like what Joe said, I think he's, I'm, I'm kind of with you when I think he's going to get probably like an eight by eight, so $64 million deal, which I think he probably deserves. I mean, 24 year old player in top six, he's been a producer ever since he's jumped in the NHL. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, man, it makes all the sense in the world for them to acquire a bona fide top six center like Pierre-Luc Dubois. And let me tell you why. Andre Kopitar, obviously the Kings' number one center, has probably only got two, maybe three years left at being the Kings' bona fide number one center. Are we truly, truly in the mindset that Quentin Byfield will be that number one center when Kopitar is gone? Because I'm not there yet. I haven't seen it from Byfield. Obviously, I don't. I'm not saying that he can be or it can't be, but I'm still waiting for Byfield to take that next step. So, let's say Kopitar does walk, and you don't have a player like Dubois in the midst or anything like that, then you're stuck with the hope that Quentin Byfield is just going to take those reins over and be that player that we're hoping to replace in Andre Kopitar. When you bring in a player like Dubois, you kind of bridge that gap even further for Byfield, and you have. Let's, let, let's say Dubois is in the lineup. You have Dubois signed, and you have a replacement for Kopitar 
when Kopitar leaves in three years, you have a 27-year-old Pierre-Luc Dubois who's just going right into the, the prime of his career. Then you have a 24-year-old Quentin Byfield just kind of getting there started. And then you have like Philip Deneau, who's going to be, what, 30, 31, just kind of could be that perfect third-line center, that Jared Stahl center that the Kings had in their Stanley Cup run. So for me, I mean, I think if the Kings and Rob Blake can just make it work salary cap-wise, and I'll talk about that too, if they can make it work salary cap-wise, I think there's no question that the Kings should be all over Pierre-Luc Dubois because I just get that Jack Eichel-like thought where we talked about trying to go for If a player like Jack Eichel is available, you have to go all in for that type of player, especially a player that can play center and be that number one player that the Kings need probably when Kopitar leaves. So for me, it's a no-brainer. I'm just with with Pierre-Luc Dubois all the way. I don't think I don't think the the cost to acquire him will be even Gabe Velarde. I think the Kings can make it work with even less than that because of the whole uh, notion of him wanting to leave. I mean, Pat Brisson even made it known. Everybody in the NHL knows that he wants to leave. So I don't think it'll cost a, a player like Gabe Velarde. I mean, the Kings got a top ten winger and Kevin Fiala for a first round pick, a nineteenth overall pick, and Brock Faber, who was a second round pick, a defenseman. So I, I, it's kind of the same situation. So I, I, I think it'll it'll be a little bit more than that, but I don't think it'll be a player like Velarde that the Kings will have to part ways with to acquire him. I just wonder if they're able to do both, sign both. I mean, because I don't know that Velarde takes a Mikey Anderson handshake deal because Velarde's got a lot of injury baggage, and he may want to. I, I know he only has so much that he can do. He's an RFA. It's not like he's got a whole lot of say here, but. Um, I, I just wonder if he, he'll be a little bit more willing to, to push for a bigger contract. I'm going to put this in the chat because I'll be honest. There we go. There we go. Trapper nine says unsubscribe to NHL Russell. (laughs) Cause he is out of his mind. And I'm going to get my, my, my thought here. Pierre Dubois, he is not a number one center. He's not even a number two center in this league. I, I, I think, I think he's vastly overrated. He's a whiner. He hasn't carried any team to anything in his entire career. Offering him $8 million is travesty. You're looking at players like Kevin Fiala, almost a point-per-game player, getting less than $8 million. We're going to offer a guy who's barely scraped 60 points in his entire career with Winnipeg, who is a playoff team, who had Kyle Connor, one of the best offensive weapons in the league, playing with him, and he can't even, he can't even do a point-per-game. You're looking at Velarde, who was on pace to have 53 points. That's seven less than Pierre Duc Dubois, and he's not going to cost eight, seven, eight million. And you're like, oh, bridging the gap? That's not a bridge. Eight, eight years isn't a bridge. That's that's a monument in LA. So if you're really bringing this guy in, like, what is he bringing to this team? He's not. He's not a competitor. He's not. Hasn't shown he can carry. All he's asked to do is be traded away because he can't make it work where he's at. I think he's a locker room cancer based on what I've seen on the outside. And is that reality? I don't really know. Is Do the Kings have other guys that can do that? I just think people are so scared at Kopitar digressing. And I am too. I brought it up last year. I brought it up a year before. Where's the, where's the next step for the Kings after Kopitar leaves? I understand that sentiment. But I don't think PLD is it. I don't think he'll ever lead a team to a Stanley Cup. And you're saying you're saying Eichel? Eichel was a point-per-game player. Pierre-Luc Dubrov was never a point-per-game player. And he was a point-per-game player in Buffalo, which, no offense, Joe, they're straight trash. Like, the, like Winnipeg was a contending team. Buffalo's never made the playoffs with Eichel there. 
Like they didn't have the rosters around them. So I, I just don't understand where this PLD love is. I, like third overall pick, I get it. Like he has the potential. He's young. I just don't think he is that in this league. Now, like I, I don't where, where he's not the next in command. Like I just don't understand where this. Hey, I understood Eichel. Hey, if Eichel's healthy, he could lead a team going forward. I get that. Hey, Patrick Kane, in the, not Patrick Kane, but um, uh, Panemi. If hey, uh, uh, you know he is a guy. He's a scorer. He's an elite scorer. He's in the prime of his career. New York sign him. Make that chance. Go go and get the guy. Oh, Panarin. But Panarin. Yeah, not Panemi. Panarin. So. <laughs> A lot of names I'm throwing around here. So I, I just don't think – I'm sorry, I'm in a mid-rant. Like my brain is solid right. rant right now, not not name. So I, I, I just don't get it. I just don't think that there is any room for him financially or physically on this roster because, like, what are we really doing? Like, he's not going to change the landscape. He, oh, is not he, even, he is not even close to Kopitar. What do you, I, what, what, Joe? You think he, for eight million he's going to change the landscape of this team? Come on. I think he changed the landscape. If you look at the lines that I, I, you could move the Kings' second line this year, and that's their third line next year. That's what Pierre Luc Dubois would do, and that's a dynamite top six if you were to do that. And and I'm going to push back a little bit on the points. I'm a little surprised at the amount of Kings fans that are pushing that are questioning the the point production of Dubois. Andre Kopitar was. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying too. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank one, you so much. One time, a point per game guy, because he was a 200 foot player. Now I don't know that Dubois is yet the selkie 200 foot player that Kopitar is, but he is of that mold of that 200 foot centerman. So him getting 60 to 70 points, Andre Kopitar lived in there for quite a while. He spiked in the 70s. He hit 80. A couple of times, I know he had the and he had the one ninety point season, but it's not as if Andre Kopitar has been like this dynamite point producer throughout his career. He's been a solid point producer, but it, it means so much because of how he, how well he plays defensively. And the other thing I'll push back on is, listen, these players don't have a whole lot of say ever, especially the first seven years of their career. So you have a guy who he's not the first guy to have run-ins with John Tortorella. And Winnipeg has been a mess before he got there. There's been talks of that team being a mess for, for before Dubois got there. Not only that, but how many times have we seen – Jeff Carter asked for he, – he, he was a uh, – he could have been considered and probably was considered a baby coming out of Columbus. Wasn't he and Mike Richards' cancers coming out of Philadelphia? I think that mm-hmm. worked out okay for Los Angeles. Didn't Who? Matthew Kachuk, didn't Matthew Kachuk just – say he wanted out of of calgary he didn't get along with the people why force a trade if if uh, is that does that make him a bad teammate i think he had a pretty good season too there's a long jack eichel himself was is despised in buffalo because of how that ended i think things ended up okay there he wasn't exactly a cancer there i think when you go to a place that has a leadership group of of um andre kopitar drew dowdy philippe Deneau's there Dubois, guys like that, Eichel, they, they don't need – like Eichel went to a, a spot where he didn't have to be the guy. He didn't have to be the captain. Mark Stone's there. Marcheseau's there. Petrangelo's there. Martinez is there. They have veteran guys there. Dubois is coming into a situation where he, he can just – he doesn't have to be the first-line center right away. Kopitar's there. He slots in at number two. And, I mean, like it was it, – it, it was like – 
it, to me, it's a no brainer. And I, I, I just really push back on the whole, he's, he's a quitter. He's a locker room guy. He's this, this, because you could have easily, and it was just as easily said that about a lot of other guys. And it's worked out perfectly fine for a lot of teams, including the LA Kings, mind you, who brought in guys like that. Um, Chuck was never a locker room guy, but I, my, my point is, is he, he demanded a trade. He demanded, wanted yeah. I mean, what does that make him? He's been, he was drafted by the team and demanded a trade. Like again, Dubois is in a situation. He was drafted by Columbus. He's not the first guy to want out of Columbus. Everybody wants out of Columbus. Again, <laughs> Jeff Carter was pouting around Columbus when he was there until he got out. He Things was there for a, for a microcosm. And, he, and threw a fit and, yeah, the second he got it. there. So, been, he was booed from, from in Columbus every time he went back there. Yeah, so like, like – I, I, I just look at last season. You look at – like Dubois wasn't even top – he was barely top 10 on his entire team, not even in the league, in individual points produced. Like he's not a producer. Like And, and, and he had a lot of offensive weapons in Winnipeg. Like where are we thinking that he's going to all of a sudden change his game to be a producer? Kopitar well, was a top top three in his team individual points produced on a team. Pierre Dubois on a team that could score. The Kings can score. Oh, you mean this year? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I thought you meant Kopitar. Like uh, no, we were but, but 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 what, but Pierre Luc Dubois is tenth on his team in individual points produced. That where he was individually affecting the play and the points five on five, and like top ten. Like you're barely top ten, you're skinking in, and he had way more minutes than everybody else. I just don't think he's elite. I don't think he's worth eight years in any. Yeah, aspect. and I, I, I look at you look at what happened. Look, that environment in Winnipeg, something's up there. Paul, Paul Maurice quit midseason two years ago. Like, Your bon- and bonus is a uh, end Rick, of season conference too. Not even end of season. Rick Bonus throughout the season called guys out, and it wasn't just Dubois. It was it was the other guys again. It's got to be Wheeler, Shifley, one of those two. And again, I'm not like there's that whole um, that whole uh, environment in Winnipeg just seems not a good place. And then Russ, as you mentioned, the end of the season press conference when Bonus made his his comments and it was wheeler i think that was like that he didn't have to do that don't think he had to do. so there's obviously tension in that organization and bonus isn't going anywhere so you know he he's also not the first person to want out of winnipeg so the, the guy is asking for trades from two places columbus and winnipeg that nobody ever wants to be at so i, I don't know i'm not going to kill him for that even winnipeg didn't want to be in winnipeg at one point <laughs> no but i mean i i just i just go back like the thing with if you bring in PLD, he's not going to be the guy that's going to be looked at to be that point producer. I mean, that's why you have Adrian Kempe. That's why you have Kevin Fiala. Hopefully you can keep Gabe Velarde if you do make a, a trade like this situation. So, I mean, I just look at that that lineup. I mean, if you have Quentin Byfield in the first line, you have Byfield, Kopitar, Kempe, and you have a, like a second line of uh, Fiala, Fiala, Dubois, PLD, and, then- and, and Velarde. And then you can have the nice line. Maybe Arvidsson gets traded or Ifall gets traded. You, you, you kind of interchange one of those as a third line. Dude, that's probably one of the best forward cores in the Western Conference. Maybe even the entire league. And then you look down. I think, he's, I, think he's two, I think he's two million overpaid. He's it, it is kind of that's why I, I agree with that. Like I, I shared that evolving hockey screenshot, and it has him around what what was it like six point seven even like seven or something. It might even something be around. less than that. It might be less than that. I'll look for something us. around that. And but the thing is, is like 
It's like kind Winnipeg's of not a bad offense. Like what, what, where, where are we talking about? Like he's either he is or isn't that guy. Like, and I think you have a lot of in sports where you're like, oh, this guy's on, like he's on a Mike Evans for the, for the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, right? Nine straight years of over a thousand yards, but he's never an elite top five guy. Like he's not a guy that's going to carry a team. He's always been, been solid. There's nothing wrong with that. PLD is probably going to have a solid career. But is he a guy that can carry a team? He's not Andre Kopitar. He's never shown he can be Andre Kopitar. So where, where are we, we doing here? Are we, we trying to win a cup next year and the year after when Kopitar is still in the twilight of his career that he can provide something? Because after that, like, it's Dubois and that's it. Like where's the well, that's where, here at but, the point? But 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 that's, that's where Russ is. That's where that's, that's the bridge. bridge. So so you have that's now, not a bridge. That's that, eight years is not a bridge. Eight years is a staple. You're bridging the Kobitar. You're bridging the Kobitar gap, and you're waiting for Byfield to develop. Because if Kobitar leaves and Byfield's not a number one center, like we've talked about, you're stuck. You're stuck. But with Philip Denoa as your I would rather one rebuild then. Like if if yeah, nobody wants to go through that, nobody yeah, wants but to do that. that no, that, but if that, that, is not that guy, then you're then you're always going to be mediocre. You're always it's be so funny the because of the, not winning. That this whole conversation of PLD is not the guy. He's never going to lead a team. He's he's like everybody was saying the same exact exactly. thing, and I know they're two different players. Everybody was saying the same exact thing about Jack Eichel. Exactly, they were saying the same exact things. Jack and I know he's a better producer. I know he's, I, yeah, I know the point production's there, but they were saying you can't lead a team to the playoffs. Jack Eichel's never been to the playoffs. How can he even go to the playoffs? Not a winner. You, you just get rid of him. Who's going to want a $10 million contract? Just won a Stanley Cup. I'm just saying he's 24 years old. So we haven't this, even is seen this, him. Is this recency bias? Is this recency bias because Jack Eichel's story was a success? No, no. this is a play, This is a 24, a player who came give into me the another, league. Give, give me another name. Give me another name. Then. This is a player that came into the league at 18 years old and produced 60 points. Quentin Byfield, we've been talking. We're waiting for him to hit the 40 point plateau. This, this, I'm just saying, this is a player you know what you're going to get, who's just getting into the prime of his career and can be that gap. I mean, you're talking about having Kopitar, PLD, and Deneau down the middle. That's, that's insane, that's, right yeah. there. You're, you're. I mean. We're, Forget matching up against McDavid and Drysdale. They're trying to match up against us. And the Who are reason, they going to match up against Kopitar and, and PLD? And the reason it's a bridge is is you have locked in. You are a top six center now. Whether PLD is one or two, you've got him locked in for the next bunch of years. So say Kopitar three years, right, and then he retires. So for now, for those three years, Dubois is number two. Maybe he's number one the last year, and then. By the that's gonna have to be number one in two years from now. No, oh, but by the favorite. point, the, no way Kopitar carries his team at thirty-seven. There's the no point, way. But the point is, is by this, this buys more time for Byfield. If he's going to be a center in this league, he doesn't have to do it as quickly. And then, and then the reason it's a bridge, even though that he's there for eight, seven, eight years in this example, Dubois. You've, so you've got a top six center locked up. That's not a bad thing, but it also, whether he's one or two and Byfield is two or one, that as long as Byfield is playing at that level to be even one of those top six, then mission accomplished. Yeah. Is there any team in the league that has an over 10 million center and then an 8 million center? Is that uh, Edmonton? Yeah. How, how, many, how many cups have they won? Exactly. Wow. So. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, though. I mean, would you trade? Would you trade? Okay, would you trade? Rather have the Toronto Maple Leafs forward core over the Kings? I think 
I think that's a discussion everybody would say to Maple Leafs, right? But Kopitar's making ten million for one year. It's right. He's only got one year left, so I don't think this is that big of a deal. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Is like I wonder. I think a lot of this kind of notion, uh, this uh, negativity toward acquiring a player like PLD, and his his cap is because you look at the King salary cap, you go on cap friendly, you see just how tight they are. I mean, if he were available next offseason, we'd be all over this. We'd be like, oh, yeah, we have Kopitar's deals, $10 million deals coming off the books. He's probably going to be signed for maybe $6 million. The salary cap's going up. We can easily add another $8 million center. And this, this is kind of why, why I think we, we've kind of missed how they could make this work financially. And I think we should talk about that because we, we'd kind of be remiss just to talk about bringing in the $8 million without figuring out a way to kind of fit this in. Stanley Cup teams figure out a way to make salary caps work for them to win cups. Look at the last couple teams that have won. The Vegas Golden Knights were just fourteen million dollars over the salary. So, cap. so you're saying breaking breaking legs? Okay, so we'll go to we'll go to LA. We'll break some. No, bones. I'm saying this. Put I'm them on a long term IR, and then uh... well, that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I'm, well, let me finish. So, I mean, Vegas was fourteen million dollars over. Tampa was like twenty million dollars over the two years they won. Colorado was under, but that, they don't count. They had Kale McCarr on an entry level deal. He's fine. Oh, so they did they did the right way, and then they don't. Count. I'm just saying teams can figure out this. The salary cap is fake. Teams figure <laughs> out a way to to get around it. I, I, you look at the the Kings' actual payroll. They were last among Western Conference teams. They were the lowest teams in actual payroll in in the, in the Western Conference playoffs. Second, and actually second in the playoffs, only to the New York Islanders, who were like, I think like. $1 million less than them. Just saying, why don't you acquire like a, a random contract? And I, I, I put this in the chat. I was talking to Joe about this. Acquire a contract like Jacob Vorchik's $8 million contract just to LTIR him. And you open up that, that space to make it happen. Get creative. Stanley Cup winning teams are getting creative. Mark Stone's back just happened to be healthy come playoff time. Get creative to win cups. That's, That's what the Kings need to do. They have the money to do it. They have the money to do it. They're one of the top 10 most valued NHL franchises in the league. Figure it out. Make, make it. You only have Kopitar for like, what, three more years. If you don't win a cup with, with Kopitar in the next three years, I think it's going to be looked at as a, a bad situation, maybe even a failure in L.A. I think you have to do whatever you can if Ooh, you're Rob Blake. A topic for another episode. So you have crazy. to do whatever you can if you're Rob Blake to try to win a cup with Kopitar as the captain. You made him the captain. You 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 told him, "Hey, we're gonna have this rebuild. Just stick with us. Stick with us for this rebuild, and we'll get, we'll try to get you another cup." If you don't get that, to, if you don't have Gary Bettman handing cup to, to Kopitar, I think a lot of people in LA are gonna be upset, and I'm sure Andre would probably be upset too. Or yeah, at least a couple of sustained deep runs, right? I, it, it, it's it's hard to win cups. I, I, so, There's no banner for sustained deep runs. Well, but to, to, to Russ's point, though, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like they, They've tried to thread the needle of build, develop, but not totally tear it down because they didn't really tear it yeah. down. There's some pieces that were still left to try to take one more kick at the can with these guys. In order for that to be successful, you need – to hit on prospects hasn't happened yet. I feel that it is percolating. Velarde finally had a big year last year, but like they need these guys, the Kaliyevs and everybody else. Take successful so far. Because they're cheap, but I'm saying you need cheap NHL talent to offset some of that because you got to pay your stars. So 
Um, I, I agree with uh, with what Russ is saying here. Yeah, I think that's Russ why, brought I mean, up an the... interesting point here for me, uh, and and I've been anti PLD here. I think that you're looking at salary cap is just whatever you want to make it. So if the Kings want to go all in and say, hey, PLD, you deserve eight years because that's what it's going to require to get you, and they want to figure it out in three years or four years or whatever, that would be my pro argument, right? Like, like, hey, I get it. Like, eight years is a lot. But is $8 million going to be a lot for a second-line center in year six, seven, eight of that contract? Maybe, yep. maybe not. Who yep. knows? And, and, and to Russ's point, who gives an F, right? That's six, seven, eight years down the line. Like if they're really trying to win right now, that would be pro- arguably a top two or three forward core in the NHL if PLD was second line center. And I get that. What is that going to cost? What all that kind of stuff goes on? Is Kopitar going to be able to maintain his 1C status because Father Time is ultimately undefeated? I just don't think that it's like you're not acquiring somebody to be a firm two. You're acquiring somebody to be a two. And then what if Kopitar's bad next year? And he has to be the one. He's never been a one. Like that, that, that kind of stuff is my thought process there. Like there's no guarantee that Kopitar is good because he has evaded the time reference so far. I just think that it's, it's, it's an interesting topic here. Because there's such a flux with the center group. Dano is never going to be a number one. So he's good two or three. He's right there. Can Kopitar be the elite guy for a year or two more? Who knows? Can PLD ever be an elite player and, and carry a team? We don't know. So that's where like this move, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, we we can put this on paper. And we could be excited about it because of what the potential could be, could be. But is there really an elite producer there? Is there a guy that can continue to pump Kempe 40-plus goals going forward? Is there another winger that isn't a, a center that was displaced that was good for three weeks on the other side? It, like, There's a lot of question marks here. I don't see PLD as the, the piece that you're just placing – and the jigsaw puzzle is over. I think there's a lot of question marks, and I think that's where a lot of fans kind of have remiss with this. I think it makes that jigsaw puzzle look a lot prettier, <laughs> is what I'll say. I mean, the, I mean, if that's why I, like, when I heard the, the the rumor that Friedman brought up, and the reason we're talking about it, I mean, Elliot Friedman's obviously one of the best insiders in the game. If he's saying it, then there's obviously something behind it. I mean, it just makes sense because, like, like we were talking about, if the Kings are trying to win with Kopitar still around. It, it makes all the sense in the world. They have to go for it. And bringing in a player like Pierre-Luc Dubois means that they understand that situation and they're going for it. They're going for a player to win another cup with Kopitar still around. And let's say, yeah, and if Kopitar eventually leaves and you don't have a player like PLD or any other center and you're you're, you're pretty much hoping that Quentin Byfield is eventually going to be that number one. Which I mean, I'm not even going to say that PLD will ever be a number one center in the league. I'm not. That's not. I, I know that's kind of what he's getting. He wants to get paid for. But like you said, like we're talking about like four or five years down the line. That that eight million dollars might not be as expensive as what we think it will be. So, and, t- and number one centers get paid ten million dollars. 
Like so, and he's not asking for ten million dollars, right? Number for the most part, right? Is there is there a number one center in the league? I guess Buffalo did a really good job locking up those two guys at under. Man, I think they got Cousins and Tage Thompson combined for fourteen, but that's really rare. Most number one centers are making but, significant bucks. But the Bruins, and, right, for consistent years had had or no Penguins had Malkin and Crosby under. The same amount, right? So, but I mean, this is different. We're talking about inflation. We, I mean, we got to consider inflation. You got to look at cap hit percentage. We can't look at the actual number. Right. You got to look at the actual. The percentage. entire Boston Boston Bruins first line was under six million per each. For this a while. year, yeah, and you're talking about Bergeron, who was like, in he, he took it such a team friendly deal. Oh, like, oh, it's a team friendly saying, deal, but they 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 set the points record. I mean, obviously they didn't win anything, but like, but they didn't win that ring that you're talking about, Randon. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's just we got. I'm not a PLD fan. I won't ever be until he's probably wearing. That's not nice. So. Just buy that Kings jersey and put that. What is he wear? 18 now or 81? I don't know. But I don't know. It's 80, just 80. I just 80, 80. think that if if the Kings under if Rob Blake understands the situation in terms of trying to win with Kopitar still around, which is probably two three year window, then you have to go for it. And if you get in a player like PLD, I think that really helps the case. And maybe, uh, hey, maybe, maybe you get him for for his his contract right now was six million. Maybe because of a lot of things that Randon is saying, and these points are fair because that is a narrative that's out there, especially the yeah. the attitude and blah blah blah. Six million dollars. Maybe he is a seven seven point five million dollar guy. Maybe he's not going to get all the way up to eight eight point five nine. You know, maybe. And if if you're getting that guy at, at something like that number, then it's even more attractive to me. So I, I mean, I'm only throwing that nine number, eight, eight to nine number, because that's what, again, as, as Russ alluded to on the 32 thoughts podcast, that's what Friedman noted. It could be anywhere in that range. Um, so I, I tend to I buy feel, that, but. I feel like that's Brisson probably feeding Friedman a little bit. Could be. <laughs> sure. I, Cause I agree. I mean, I even I, $8 million seems a little bit rich. Cause yeah, like, I think like I'll argue PLD all all day, but the obviously the points like we've talked about, that's that's what everybody looks at. And I, I think around seven point five. And I also don't know if maybe he won an eight year deal. I wonder if like we're we're seeing players maybe tend to go lesser term. Maybe he gets five years and he hits free agency again at twenty nine. I mean, that's what I would do if I were him. If if he's gonna be a good player in the NHL, which I would expect him to be. Would, yeah, it, would it make it even deal. more? Would it make it more palpable if it was four or five years at eight? Hey, that you that you got to answer that question because I'm in on eight. So I don't I'm think that, on, yeah for me it doesn't matter. I can go four, four, five, eight, whatever he wants to do. I think five to eight is the same. Like that's a long time. Like, like at that point, like if it you're on the player, it depends on no, the player, the position, and the depends age. on anything because it. For PLD, it doesn't depend on anything, right? The age, five to eight, doesn't matter. Player, sure. doesn't matter. Like, you're investing a long time in that player. If it's a 30-year-old player, yeah, five and eight is the different. 27-year-old player, five and eight is different. But for him, like, it really doesn't make a difference for me. I understand this. Now, we're already riding 145. Let's keep this going because I think Kings fans, we, we're still riding hot. Hey, all you fans in the chat, we're riding hot right now. We're over 48 in the chat, 50 in the chat. Appreciate you guys. 
smash that like button, like like button. Uh, <laughs> are we the Rams? Are we the Rams? Should we go all in with the Kopitar Dowdy saga here and just trade away whatever we need to do to win a championship? But the thing is, is they don't necessarily have to do that even because you can. I think you can acquire Dubois, for example, in this discussion without trading Byfield, without trading Clark, Easily, without yeah. trading a first-round pick. You know, maybe it costs Filardi. Okay, without a first-round pick, I, I, I maybe think it costs first. So we maybe gave a, a first. we we give a first for Gavrikov and Corpusala. Like Dubois is not going to cost a first-round pick. Touche. So okay, he'll probably. Be I look. I just look at the Kevin Fiala deal. I think that's so comparable. I mean, I think Fiala was is a little bit older than what PLD is. Um, he's a winger. He, he, yeah, he's just, and then Dubois is a center. So I don't know. I think you can do it for maybe a first, uh, uh, Jordan Spence, and maybe even like a I don't know Victor Arvison because if they want to still be competitive, I think you can do it without giving away Velarde. I really think you can. I just don't. I mean, the, like like I said earlier, it's just. Everybody knows he wants out. It's, it's mm-hmm. not a secret. So the call, and, and he gets to choose where he pretty much wants to go because there's an extension kind of tied to it. No team's going to trade to him, uh, trade for him if they don't get an ex- a long term extension tied to him. So it's pretty much wherever he wants to go. And Winnipeg has to just figure out a way to get the best bang for their buck for, for that type of player. So yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I, see, I see people even mentioning Jersey. I could see it being a first round pick, Jersey and Kaliev. I, that wouldn't surprise me at all, to be honest with you. So is is Winnipeg retooling or is they rebuilding? Because if they're rebuilding, no, it's 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 Pinelli, it's it's those Winnipeg, guys. That, it's, it's a good per, question. Colpretti. Yeah, because Pinelli would be a, a perfect rebuilding guy. Retooling oh, trading. Would be, oh yeah, because yeah, because Winnipeg fifty goals. He's a young player. You could rebuild off of him. But if you're retooling, you want guys with NHL experience, which would be Jersey or Caliep or that kind of stuff. I, so that if they rebuild, that means you're sending out Blake Wheeler. That means you're sending out Mark Shifley, and you're turning this team over to like Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Josh Morrissey, who's signed to a long-term extension. They're D. They've got some intriguing young defensemen, but they're kind of thin back there. So I don't know the route that they go if they if they're going to totally look to re, rebuild. Or, you know, maybe if Dubois wants out and Hellebuck says he doesn't want to rebuild. Well, as Russ alluded to, you could probably trade Dubois hypothetically to the Kings, get a Dursey, an Arvidsson, and a pick, something like that. You know, pick your, you know, give, give or take on some of the names and still be competitive if you don't, if you hang on to Hellebuck, if you keep, um, the rest of the guys, Shifley, so, all those guys. I will say this, Joe. I've seen this on Twitter, and let me know what you mm-hmm. guys think. Trade away both Ayafalo and Victor Arvidsson, plus prospects and picks for both Hellebuck and PLD. Um, you have to make the cap room. You have to make the cap room, but you're getting away. So – PLD over VA or Hellebuck over Ayafalo? Where are you guys feeling on that? You get it. I think goalie? I think the I think the Kings could be more creative with their cap situation where they don't have to trade both of those players. I think they can figure for, it out. But for I both, mean, I would uh, like them to try to get a little for creative both with Hellebuck the cap situation. And PLD. 
Maybe. I mean, I, I just, I mean, even I can, I think you can do it even without trading both of the Arvidsson and I follow and getting maybe, I mean, if they're like, I just don't see, man, I don't see Winnipeg going. All, I mean, if they're trading, like, like Joseph, if they're trading Hellebuck too, then that's rebuild. Then you're going rebuild. rebuild. There, there's no point in even sugarcoating it anymore. I don't know how you're going to sell that to fans. I mean, you you might as well like why why would they even want a player like Harvidson on an expiring deal and exactly. I follow with two years left? That would make no sense for them either. Yep. So, but they could yeah. retrade. But they could retrade those guys. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I just it, it doesn't make any sense. You're getting futures now. You're not you're not looking for another trade for potential because he, let's say you you those players play and they get hurt, then their trade value is even lesser than what you're I'm, hoping. I'm saying for. trade them That's right what, away. I mean, then they're pretty much the Calgary Flames when they're pretty much just hoping to keep going where they really should have just rebuilt it. Because that's where the Flames are at right now. They they traded for Jonathan Huberdeau, gave him a freaking $10 million deal for eight years. And now they're, they're not, they weren't even good. And now he's, they're just going to win. No, nah, he's going to be fine. They're, I'm back on the Flames. They're All they need is a right. Oh, no, so come on. I'm we, so ready for that. Debate. We don't have a podcast long enough for your Flames infatuation here. Um, man, this is. This is a good podcast. Hey, the debate stature here for the Kings ran about almost two hours here. I love it. I love it for this for this group here. Kings are in so many different ways, right? We could go this way, that way. A lot of movement that can happen with expiring contracts, new players coming in. Obviously, both my co-hosts love the PLD option. Ultimately, we want a cup. We want to raise the cup. We don't want to see... Former Kings raise the cup. We want to see current Kings raise the cup. So what are we going to do about that? We'll be covering all that here on HockeyRoyalty.com and Hockey Royalty Podcast. Please subscribe, HockeyRoyalty.com, Hockey Royalty underscore or Hockey underscore Royalty. Random Commando 24, NHL Russell, and we have J.W. Paterino. Hey, if you want some rain news, Kopitar 4 HOF is where you're at. Our sponsor is DraftKings. Code THPN. What I got to say for the offseason, the chat has been electric. Yeah. 40, been great. 40 plus, been 50 awesome. plus, 60 plus people in the chat. Love it. Thank you guys. You guys are the true fans of the LA Kings. Appreciate you guys coming in here and making it rowdy here in the chat. And as always on this podcast, go Kings, go. <laughs>